Hello and welcome to Coast and Country, powered by the science of the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station. Coming up in this special edition, all about ticks. Megan Linsky talks us through professional treatments you can use around your home and property to treat animals that carry ticks. Kirby Stafford gives us the lowdown on clothing to wear when we're out and about, as well as tips on tick removal and insect repellents. And Jeffrey Ward takes us into the woods to see the problems with Japanese barberry, an invasive plant that is home for ticks and methods to control it. But first, depending on where you live, ticks can be a real problem around your home, potentially infecting you with Lyme disease and being carried into your home by your pets. Kirby Stafford from the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station talks us through a simple way of monitoring ticks and how landscaping around your home can reduce tick infestation. I mean, we're at the edge of somebody's property here. So talk us through the situation here with regards to, you know, a, a tick sort of like situation. Well, I think to begin with, I think people should recognize the fact that, you know, we estimate that about three quarters of all the tick bites and therefore probably Lyme disease cases are associated with activities right in the backyard, whether it be play, gardening or yard work. Um, and so what we have found is that the woods back here is where the majority of our black legged ticks or deer ticks are. Um, you know, only about 2% of them will actually work out into the lawn and even there, about 82% will, will be within the three yards here that you see between the edge of the woods or the characteristic New England stone walls of, or other ornamental vegetation. So there's basically several ways to try to monitor tick abundance. And <clears throat> one is what we call our passive surveillance. That's just people sending in ticks for, uh, to have them identified or tested and we can get infection rates from that. The second method is to go out and actually directly sample the questing ticks. These are the ticks that are looking for a host, whether it's a wild animal, uh, your pet, or you. And so uh, since they're, they're waiting for a host to come along, our standard method is what we call a tick drag. So it's just basically a white flannel-like material that we drag along the vegetation and ticks would grab a hold of it just like they would your clothes or your dog's hair or something like that. And then we can just, we can take those ticks as well and take them back and test them um, as well. So uh, right here at this time of year, uh, we're just uh, almost into June, we're in late May. And so we're just beginning the, uh, the summer tick season. So this is the time when the very small nymphal stage of the black-legged tick uh, is becoming active and this uh, it's, it's a pinhead size uh, and it's very easy to miss um, and so it's responsible for the majority of Lyme disease cases so if you look at even the state or national statistics the majority of Lyme disease cases occur you know late May June July and on into August okay And then when we're done dragging a stretch, we'll turn it over and examine it for the presence of ticks. And when, if there's ticks present, we just simply collect them in small vials um, and then take them back here to the, like you see here, we use fine tip forceps to collect them, which happen to be, by the way, a very good way of removing ticks. That's if you good find one attached, as you can see, this is a very fine tip forcep. And you can just pick the ticks up and we put them in a vial take them back to the lab and test them. Now, typically the past couple of years, the infection rate in the nymphal ticks uh, has been around 15 to 
Okay. So people need to understand that not every tick is infected. And I think that's like a bit of a problem, isn't it, with the public is they hear the word tick and I think they instantly think that every tick has got Lyme disease. Lyme disease. Right. No, that's not the case. It's, and the nymphs, it's about 15 to 20%. Ironically, the adult stage, which is what the nymphs turn into after they feed on an animal host, uh, the infection rate's running around 46 to 48%. But the adult stage in the fall, winter, and spring is a little bit larger. I mean, it's still small, but it's much, much larger than a nymph. And people tend to notice them a lot more readily. People are going to be thinking, you know, because deers are very much connected with, you know, ticks. Oh, well, I don't have deers in my yard, so therefore I can't have ticks. I mean, that's not the situation, though, is it? Because it's not just the deer. It's not just the deer. Uh, our so-called deer tick, our, well, technically we call it the black-legged tick, um, the adults feed on medium to large animal hosts. So deer is actually the main host for the adult stage of the tick. Deer do not actually infect ticks, so basically they're the reproductive host. So I'll eat, think about each female tick that feeds on a deer will then drop off and lay about 2,000 eggs. So yeah, so a property that doesn't have deer aren't going to have that input into the property, so you will have a lot fewer ticks, but it doesn't mean you don't have any. So the larval ticks that hatch from those eggs, uh, and the peak is August for those, they generally hatch around mid-July and they will feed mainly on rodents and birds. So birds are also heavily parasitized by this tick as well. So it's the mice, the chipmunks, the birds, shrews, you know, any animal host available, the larvae and nymphal stages of this tick will feed on. Those larval ticks will molt after they feed to nymphs and then go through the winter as nymphs. So the nymphs that we're seeing that are just starting to come out for this summer were larval ticks last August. Okay, so often the question is, okay, what kind of a tick season are we going to have? So the nymphal tick season that we're going to have here is kind of hard to predict because the tick has a two-year life cycle. So how many nymphs that we see this summer will depend on, one, how many survive the winter, and the other is how many of those larval ticks successfully fed on the mice and chipmunks and birds last summer. So we do see cycles. I mean, people ask me, uh, is it going to be a bad tick year? Well, my response is every year is a bad tick year. Mm. Some are just a little worse than others. So you do have down years, up years, but every year is a tick year. So Kirby, we're in another part of the garden here. Just talk us through why this is sort of good landscaping when it comes to ticks. Okay, so remember, as I mentioned earlier, the ticks are primarily in the woods, and, you know, there's a definite edge effect, but they can also be found in other parts of the property where you have a lot of leaf litter cover, you have, say, a ground cover, extensive stands of pachysandra, for example. I've taken ticks out of the pachysandra right next to front doorsteps, right where the garden hose is. So think... Because Pachysandra provides cover. You've got mice that can run under Exactly. There. And again, I suppose yeah. that's something so, that people wouldn't be thinking about, is it? That's correct. They're thinking woods. So you've you got to look at the landscape as a whole. And also very characteristic, obviously, of New England is our classic stone walls. Which, of course, we don't have here. This is much more of a sort of like structured wall. So is this, this, is this better? Definitely. Because you're not providing, I mean, our standard New England stone walls are essentially mouse and chipmunk hotels. Um, and so... Uh, from a wildlife standpoint, they're great, but there's also those are major hosts for the ticks as well. But when you're talking about landscaping, 
here you've got a, a nice drier edge. Uh, it's not the kind of habitat that is suitable for the ticks. It's not really an ideal place for the rodent hosts. And obviously a, a, man, a finished stone wall like this is not the type that you obviously are going to have uh, the wild animal hosts living in. So Megan, um, tell us about professional treatments because there's plenty to talk about. Let's start with this one um, up near you. Okay, um, so basically when you're looking at treatments to do in your own backyards, most often you're gonna have to hire an applicator to come in and administer, administer some of them. Um, and those tend to fall into two different categories, either host targeted or non-host targeted, host being the wildlife that come into your backyard and possibly um, provide blood meals for ticks or um, drop them off in your backyard, which is always fun. So we have a couple different treatments here. This first one is considered a host targeted one. It's a rodent targeted vaccine program. Um, so these pellets are actually the vaccine delivery system and it goes into these little chambers and then it's set on a timer so that every time, I forget what the time allotment was, but it opens up a new chamber full of these pellets. And so small bodied host species like white-footed mice, um, chipmunks, maybe a squirrel could fit in there, are able to go through the bottom, enter the chamber, eat the vaccine, and then they become vaccinated. So that's the thought process behind that. So just to clarify, because you, you, you've made the point, just in case anybody out there watching is thinking it's some sort of death trap for, <laughs> for mice or wildlife, it isn't, is it? It, it is not, it no. Is just a delivery system it's just a delivery system it's basically an automatic feeder so something similar would be like the feeders you put out for your cat when you go away for a day or or a weekend or something like that it's the same process where it opens up um, a compartment essentially they go and they eat the meat and then they leave excellent because yeah. we don't want anybody thinking we're trying no, to eradicate no. the wildlife <laughs> no. that's not the purpose if anything it's giving the wildlife a little bit yeah. of, a, of a boost yep exactly yeah if anything we call this um cheetos for mice because there's no there's actually no nutritional value to it. It's just- Pure medication. Um, yep, it's just pure vaccination and they're good to go. Talk to us about this here. This looks uh, rather uh, formidable. It's called what, MET52. So. Yes, um, so like I had said before, there's host targeted and non-host targeted. Non-host targeted tends to be um, sprays that people put in their backyard. And those can be both repellents and acaricides. Acaricides are ones that specifically target ticks and kill them. And so in that group, there are uh, more chemical formulations and then there's more natural formulations. And this is, tends to be one of the more natural ones. Um, it's called MET52 after the soil-borne fungus that it contains. Um, and this fungus basically attaches to ticks and kills them. So it's a spray that you put on your lawn, woodland edge, where ticks would probably be crossing that barrier to come into your yard and it attaches to them and kills them. So this is something new that we've been um, testing through some of our integrated tick management programs uh, as a way to um, reduce tick loads in your backyard, but in a more natural, less chemical based kind of way. One thing I suppose people who are watching this may be asking the question about is if they've got pets. Yes. Um, so what's the situation if you've got, you know, it's like pets? So that's one of the main reasons why we employed this specific acaricide because like I said, it's a natural born fungus. So it's something you'd see it'd be present in the soil normally anyways. However, we do advise um, people after we spray their houses to just keep their pets and kids indoors for a couple hours so that it has time to dry. So basically what they'll see is we'll come to their house with a, a spray rig and what looks like a large hose and kind of spray the perimeter of their lawn edge. And so you just want to give it ample time to dry and attach to the, that, that lawn uh, material so that 
the ticks can come in and get it and your pets and your kids don't have to worry about it all. That's good to hear. Yeah. And then also we've got something here. I'll just hold this up. It's a tick box. Tell us a little bit about this. So that is once again, a host targeted mechanism. And so that's specifically looking at uh, small bodied hosts again. So white footed mites are the primary reservoir hosts for the black legged tick. And so that targets that particular species. So if you were to open up that box inside, you'll see there's like a little hallway and at the end of the hallway there's two clumps of bait so that brings them in and they come in and consume it it's kind of similar concept to this however between those two wells of bait there's a little wick that will rub against the back or the neck of the mice and it's a fipronel based wick so fipronel is the same product you use on your cats or dogs um, but in a much much smaller dose because it's a much smaller animal um, and it treats them and kills all the ticks on them so you're not only reducing the tick load on those mice and subsequently the ticks that you're going to see in your backyard um, but you're also reducing the number of ticks that are parasitizing on a host that could give them the pathogens that cause diseases like Lyme disease. So again, it's not eradicating. Nope, not killing anything. Um, actually, pretty much all the stuff that we do is focused on not killing any of the wildlife, just treating them um, and then sending them on their way. So. And you've got finally down there on the floor, I've got a photograph because uh, it was a little bit of a big thing to obviously bring <laughs> yeah. here today. So talk to us about this. So once again, I, you can see that we do a lot of focus on the smaller bodied hosts because sometimes it's a little bit trickier to um, treat some of our larger bodied hosts. But when you're looking at the black-legged tick life cycle, deer are a big one on that list. They're the, the host species that feeds the adult stages of the black-legged ticks. So they're really important. Um, so what we have here is a four-poster device, which is essentially a, um, a corn feeding trough with paint rollers on the trough ends that are coated in permethrin. And so what happens is a white-tailed deer will approach it, they'll start to feed in the trough and the paint rollers rub up and down their face and their necks um, and they distribute the permethrin or whatever other acaricide is being used, primarily it's permethrin, um, across their bodies and it kills all the ticks on them. So very similar concept as that bait box, but for a much, much larger host. That's good news. And I suppose the important thing to, to finally make a, a point about a, of all of this is if you do want to treat ticks, you know, at your property, best mm -hmm. advice is really to call in the experts. Cause I mean, there's a lot of things out there that you can get yourself. Yeah. We're not saying that they're no good, but I mean, really it's always best to have some expert advice to make sure you understand you're putting it in the right areas. Yeah, so I think the there are certain things that you can do in your own backyard to kind of eliminate or reduce the risk or exposure to ticks. Um, simple things like keeping your lawn short um, and also providing like a woodland or a wood chip edge like this um, between your lawn and the woodlands. Because what happens is ticks are what we called um, susceptible to desiccation induced mortality, which means they dry up really quickly. So they need like a nice, warm, humid area to survive. So if you have this nice wood chip layer or short grass, they're not gonna get very far before they desiccate or they dry up. So those are simple things that you can do in your own backyard, just simple maintenance or creation of that barrier. However, if you're looking to do something that's a little bit more uh, significant impact or on a larger scale, um, then I would suggest that you call an applicator in and they can do a single or combination treatment of some of these. But they do, all of these that I've mentioned require an applicator's license in order for them to be applied to your lawn or woodland edge.
uh, wear long pants, tuck them in the socks. Remember, most of the, that way the ticks are crawling up the outside of you. I was going to say that's very sort of like cyclist, isn't it? It's like yeah. tucking the socks in, but it makes sense. And, exactly. And, and also, you're wearing very pale, so like neutral colors as well. That's what to spot them. Yeah, it makes it easier to spot. I mean, the color of the clothing has nothing to do with whether there's going to be a tick there or not. It's just that they're easier uh, to spot. And uh, you can enhance your protection by using a repellent. So basically, you have things like DEET and picaridin, which are, you can use on your skin or clothes. Uh, and then the alternative is to use uh, permethrin. It's an insecticide. 0.5% permethrin is available either as a spray uh, and, but there are several companies that also have pre-treated clothing available. So any ticks that come in contact with my socks or pants right at the moment will be both repelled and killed. Okay. And so I have found though to be very effective protection. And I will say uh, over 30 years of working with ticks and going out in the field and doing tick control trials, I've had very few tick bites and I haven't gotten Lyme disease yet. If you're using uh, your standard mosquito repellents like DEET or picaridin or uh, oil of lemon eucalyptus, you want to use a product that's somewhere around, say, 20 to 30 percent. Um, DEET is ranges from just a few percent all the way up to little vials of 100 um, percent. And you don't really gain that much protection once you increase the concentration above 30 uh, percent. But for ticks, you really need that 20 to 30 percent range. You know. and, and then what about if you're sensitive? Because, you know, there are people that are clearly sensitive to, you know, harsh chemicals or they may not want to use those types of products. There are other products out there, so like more organic based types of products. What's your sort of, um, sort of like thoughts about those? Because obviously there's plenty out there. What should people sort of like be, be mindful of if they want to use an alternative? Well, the thing about the alternatives is there's many of them and there's very little data to uh, provide information on how well they really work, particularly for ticks. Uh, quite often they're used, you know, more for some uh, short-term mosquito protection, um, but we really don't have any, a lot of good information uh, on how, how well they work for, for ticks. Um, you know, one of the deep uh, tends to get a little bit of a bad rap. It actually has a quite a good safety record. Uh, and one of the reasons some people don't like to use it is, you know, because of its, you know, kind of oily feel and, and that kind of thing. Um, and picaridin uh, is preferred by some individuals simply because it has uh, some more pleasant cosmetic properties. So that could be an alternative to DEET. Talk us through an inspection because that is so important. That is important. So be aware with this tick, um, they, you know, even though they tend to congregate, say, like on the belt line or anywhere where the clothes are a little tight, they can be found anywhere on the body. And so you really need to do a thorough uh, check. And remember, the nymphs are about the size of a little freckle. Uh, and so it can be hard to spot. But nonetheless, the importance lies in the fact that it takes 24 to 36 hours for an infected tick. And remember, not all of them are infected to transmit the Lyme disease bacteria to you. So those daily checks when you've been doing anything you think you've been exposed to ticks and you find the tick and remove it, you can just stop your chances of getting Lyme disease right there. So don't panic don't necessarily. Because again, <laughs> right. I think people get this idea that the moment it attaches itself, it's like, oh my God, you know, I'm being infected. But that is not the case. That is not the case. The spirochetes are the kind of bacteria that, that cause Lyme disease are in the tick gut. And when the tick actually begins to feed, they actually have to migrate through the body of the tick to the salivary glands before they get injected in while they're feeding. Remember, ticks aren't like mosquitoes. 
Mosquitoes come, they feed for what, a minute, two minutes, you know, and they're gone. Ticks feed for days. So a nymphal tick, once it attaches to you, requires about four days for full engorgement, slowly just taking in that blood meal. Um, and that's, you know, so basically you, there's time there for you to, you know, and if you can find it in that first 24 to 36 hours, uh, even if the tick's infected, you've got a really good chance of, of preventing transmission. You're holding a pair of uh, fine tip forceps there. Thankfully, we don't have any ticks on us, um, but the removal of them obviously is critical because you have to make sure you get it all out, don't you? Correct. And so, you know, a lot of the tick removal devices on the market, um, many of them are really designed for, say, like a much larger American dog tick. The nymphs are very, 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 very small. And so you need something really fine to be able to grab them. And so I like the fine tip forceps because you come in, you know, next, right, grab close to the uh, mouth parts, right, close to the skin as possible, and gently and firmly pull it right out. Uh, the mouth parts in an adult tick are a little longer, um, and sometimes you may break the mouth parts off. Um, that doesn't have any bearing on whether you get Lyme disease, either it's been there long enough to transmit or not. But think of it analogous to a, like a splinter you can't get out. It's sure. still foreign tissue in the skin, uh, so uh, you know you don't have to go digging for it, but just uh, you know apply a topical antibiotic and, and watch out for any potential secondary infection. And I suppose the best advice to give at the end of the day, if you have any concerns at all, maybe contact your you know your doctor if you have any concerns. That is correct. And certainly if you've not managed to get it out completely as well as just seek some medical advice. Yeah, seek some medical advice and, and be aware of some of the symptoms. And uh, if you suspect you, that you might actually have Lyme disease, uh, you know, uh, consult your physician because early diagnosis and treatment uh, almost always means uh, a favorable outcome and, a, and a elimination of the, of the infection. If you just have some isolated barberry, you know, in your neighborhood or, you know, right near your place, what you can do is get in there and cut it. And you want to make certain that you get everything. You don't have to rake it up, but you can see this is taking a fair amount of time. And you just keep chopping away and chopping away and chopping away because it's amazing how many bloody stems these things have. And once you clear an area, and I'm still not gotten all from this one clump. Uh, there we go. And then then we're going to treat it a chemical. Yeah, and then what you can do is on something like this, we could do immediately, is you can come out and hide the brand name. You can come out and just spray an area right there on the cut stems. Now, one of the other things we like doing is we'll actually uh, come to an area that uh, has barberry. We'll cut it down, and the barberry can be, you know, this wide and this tall. And then we cut it down so it's, it's small. And within that first year, the barberry only grows to be about a foot high. And then you can come out and treat it either with a propane torch we're going to show, or you could do a spot treat with uh, herbicide. 
One of the reasons why you really want to just spray a small area if you're using herbicide is you want the native plants, uh, like the spice bush and the native grasses and native ferns, we're trying to restore the site. We don't want to, you know, just kill everything and make a biological desert. We want all the native plants to come back. So if you look at this area over here and you just look at where you've got acre after acre after acre of barberry, trying to do that by cutting every one of those barberries by hand and, and treating every one by hand is just something that you really couldn't do because just by treating this barberry, we can reduce the number of, of ticks per acre carrying it by 90%. That's a hell of a difference. So like I said, the real trick is you don't have to burn the entire bush. You just want to heat the plant until the base, the, the stems at the base just start glowing. And then ultimately does that kill? Will it, is okay, it killing what, it or not? No, what it does is it effectively, it, it's the same thing as mechanical mowing. It's a little bit cleaner. The small plants it will kill, but barberry has buds that are uh, just below the surface. And what happen is, is they'll re-sprout, just like if you were to cut down a tree. So you have to come back and do a follow-up treatment on them. One of the real concerns about using propane torches is there is a real risk of a forest fire. So we're, we think propane torches are uh, a valuable tool, potentially valuable tool is in wetland areas where you can't start a fire and where you're really worried about you know, uh, using herbicides because a lot of those areas have some pretty severe restriction, and they should have some uh, pretty severe restrictions on using herbicides. So you can go out there with a torch, you don't worry about setting the woods on fire, you can kill the barberry, and you are damaging all the surrounding plants. And a reminder that the use of propane torches, as just seen in our last segment, should only ever be used by qualified professionals. If you want more information about ticks and how to deal with them, then contact the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station. Details are on your screen now. That's all from us for this edition of Coast and Country. Thank you for watching. We'll see you again soon.